All right. Um, today we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. The passage that we'll be looking at today is a pretty famous one. It's well known, the vine and the branches, that portion of it at least. But it's actually part of a larger section in, um, in the book of John. And it's a part of a larger section that goes from John chapter 14 to John chapter 17. And these four chapters are often grouped together because they are just one long continuous string of Jesus' final teachings to his disciples the night before he is crucified. In John chapter 13, we see that Jesus takes his disciples to the upper room. He washes his disciples' feet. And soon after, Judas Iscariot leaves to betray Jesus. Jesus turns to Peter and says, you will deny me. And then in John chapter 18, we see that Jesus is arrested. And so this is taken, the chapters 14 to 17 is really when Jesus and his disciples are making their way from the upper room to the garden where he will be arrested. And as Jesus is walking with his beloved disciples, he is teaching. Like a true, wonderful teacher, he is teaching to the very last moment. But when you read through 14, 15, 16, 17, you really begin to sense the Lord's heart as he gives to them these last words, right? Because these are his disciples. They've been with him for three years, right? He came to them and said, come follow me. They dropped everything and they followed him. And for three years, they traveled with him. They ate with him. They listened to his teachings. They witnessed Jesus perform many miracles, Sometimes they were rebuked by Jesus. A lot of the times they were comforted, encouraged by Jesus. But what they don't know is, at this point, Jesus is about to be taken away from them to be crucified. But Jesus knows this. He is fully aware that the time has come. He is fully aware that his time has come for him to drink of the cup of suffering drink the cup of God's wrath because of our sins. And he knows that his time has come for the son to glorify his Abba Father. And so this is the reason why he came. And so he's intentional here. Um, you can imagine someone at their deathbed, nothing is wasted. Every word, every moment, every breath is intentional because time is precious, right? Time is precious, and for Jesus, it's about a few hours left. And so during that time, he passes, um, and he sees this, this grapevine. But along the way, he says all these things, and he says these profound, powerful words. And so I just want to take us through a few of what he says to them. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. As he's walking with his disciples, he also says, I will go and prepare a place for you. I don't know how much of it they understood, but he's, this is what he's saying to them. He says, keep my commandments. He also turns to them and says, peace I leave with you. 
Do not be afraid. And so you see, Jesus is preparing his beloved disciples for his departure. And then we get to John chapter 15, and you see, yes, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, but he is also preparing his disciples to bear fruit in their lives. And here Jesus teaches them about the fruit that God desires to see in their lives and also in our own lives. And he's teaching them how. And he's telling them the result of it. The result of fruit in your lives is joy. And it's not just a little bit of joy. It's not just like halfway full joy. It's joy to the full, Jesus says. And so these words that we're about to dig into today, these words, we need these words. And these words must become personal for us. And that's what I pray for us as we listen to um, his word today, is that these words would become personal for us. And it has to be. Because these words are talking about spiritual life. And these words are talking about spiritual growth. And we are a people who are gathered because we desire to grow in this spiritual life. You know, every once in a while, it's good to take a step back and to see where you are in your progress for anything, right? To get feedback, to measure yourself against a certain standard. It gives you um, a picture of where you are so that you know how to move forward. And so today, as we talk through this passage, I pray that you would humbly allow the Holy Spirit to search your hearts and ask the Spirit to show you where you are in terms of your spiritual condition, right? Some of us are spiritually healthy. I wanted to bring like a full plant, but, you know, I, I can't bring it. But imagine there's a full plant, a tree, a tall tree. And some of us are like that. We have... Um, we have life flowing through us. We have vibrant green leaves or bearing fruit. Everything looks fresh and everything is growing right. And then some of us in here are young. Are we're young. The leaves are just beginning to bud. We haven't yet produced fruit, but we're on the way. You're growing. That's good, right? And then some of us, some of us are spiritually sick. Some of us, um, we have leaves and we have fruit, but they've begun to wilt a little bit. Uh, we're not producing as much anymore. Um, and so what, wherever you are, whether you're, you, you're healthy, whether you are young, or whether you are in need of a little bit more, I pray that every single one of us would walk away today just encouraged with a greater desire to grow even more in our spiritual life. And so Jesus begins by saying this. He says, he is the true vine, we are the branches. The branches are connected to the vine, and the branches bear fruit. And God is the vine dresser, right? God is the vine dresser. In other words, he's saying, God is in charge here. It's his vineyard. He's the one who planted the vineyard so that it would produce fruit. So he does the planting, he does the grafting, he tills the soil, he cuts, he trims, he prunes, he works the branches so that they could fulfill the purpose for which they have been planted. So if you've ever wondered, 
Is there a plan or purpose for my life? If you've ever wondered, is there something that I should be doing? Something that I have been made for? The answer is yes. You and I have been made and designed to bear spiritual fruit. Godly spiritual fruit. I shared this uh, a few weeks ago, um, but I was really blessed in my college years uh, to be at a church that is intentional about discipleship and mentorship. And thankfully, I was invited to be a part of a woman's discipleship group um, led by an older woman in our church. And uh, she was a godly woman, um, didn't say much, a little bit quiet, but very, very sincere. I love people like that, very sincere. And she would gather us regularly. Sometimes we would meet uh, once a week if we were too busy, maybe twice a month. And it was a particular session we were meeting. And, you know, she shared with us how she and her husband were celebrating their 10th wedding anniversary. And she was telling us. And we're like, oh, you know, that's so awesome. We want to be married. And she said, oh, marriage is hard. <laughs> and she said, I've, you know, I've lived with him for 10 years. And she explained to us a little bit. Um, and she said, you know, she's such an introvert. She really doesn't need to say much. But he is such an extrovert. He's always wanting to talk. So there were times where he would think that she was upset with him because she was silent. And then there were times where she would just be so annoyed of her husband because all he did was talk. And she just wanted to be by herself. And she wanted silence. And there are so many other things she was describing that are um, in conflict as they live together. And she said, you know, there have been a lot of good times. I, I love my husband. But there have been a lot of difficult times too. But we've made it for 10 years. And she said, do you know what I've learned by living with him, watching him for 10 years? I've learned what it really looks like to truly love Jesus. I was like, what? If someone lived with me for 10 years and saw everything that I do, if someone saw me at my worst, if someone saw me through all my different seasons for 10 years, what would they say of me? But for this man, he, his life was so full of Jesus that even his wife, who sees almost everything, can testify that she is challenged and blessed and encouraged by the evidence of Jesus in his life. And even as I share this with you now, my heart is still stirred. And I pray, God, I want to live such a life so full of Jesus that whether you encounter me for five minutes or whether you live with me for 20 years, you will say that my life is full of Jesus. I am not there yet, but I want to be there. And don't you want to be a church? When people come in here, the first thing they, th they say is, my goodness, CGS, so much evidence of God in this place. That is a fruitful life. And that is a fruitful church. And that is what Jesus expects of you and me. It's not a choice whether you want to bear fruit. In fact, Jesus says, when there is a branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts it off and he throws it away. 
If you are in Christ Jesus, meaning if you are a Christian, it is mandatory that you bear fruit in your life. Bearing fruit. And so the first thing for a branch to bear fruit is this. It must have life. A branch that wants to bear fruit must have life. It must have that sap running through it, giving it all the nutrient it needs. But if it does not have that sap flowing through, it does not have life, and it will not and cannot bear fruit. And the only way that branch is going to get that sap and that life is if it's connected to the vine. And so I brought something. So this would be a branch that just does not bear fruit and it will be thrown away, right? So it will just be thrown out like this. But then let's say you see a branch like this, right? And you're like, oh, it's so pretty. Um, my brother Joe, not my real brother, brother in Christ Joe, I asked, I was like, I need a branch. I need a branch, Joe. And he goes, I'll find you a branch. In five minutes he found a branch. I'm like, where did you go? I hope you didn't kill off a living branch. But anyway, because it looks so fresh. Nothing comes off when you shake it. It means it's... Anyways, um, thank you, Joe. Um, but this branch, it looks good. It's green, actually, right? It looks green. Some of us are like this. We do all the right things. We, we say the right things. We serve hard. We work hard. We look good. But honestly, even if I had to pray for an hour over this branch to bear an apple, it's not going to bear an apple. You can come up and pour all the water you want on this, and the whole church can stretch out their hands and pray over this branch. This branch is never going to bear any kind of fruit, not even a little grape, let alone an apple. Why? Because it's dead. It might look alive, but it's dead because it's connected to nothing. And that's what Jesus says. He says, if you are not connected to the vine, you are dead. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. If there is no life going through the branches, you are dead. If your life is not in Jesus Christ, you have no life. Those are scary words spoken by Jesus. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you have no life and you cannot bear fruit. We don't like to think about this. We don't like to think that we're weak. We like to think that we're self-sufficient. We don't like the idea that we need someone or something else to give us purpose and meaning in life. But this is actually the root of a strong spiritual life. It's a deep conviction of this truth that without Christ, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you have, doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you studied, doesn't matter what you have done or accomplished, if you are not in Christ Jesus, you do not have life because true life belongs to Christ Jesus. He is the pulsating source of life, the living word. He speaks, he breathes, he imparts, he shares all that the Father has given to him. And so Jesus says these words, remain in me as I have remained in you. 
Remain in me as I have remained in you because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you have no life. One of the more powerful verses for me in this passage is verse 16. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Why does Jesus say this? I mean, I get it. I get that he chose us first. That our choosing of Jesus was really in response to his choosing of us. But can he really say that I didn't choose him? I mean, I don't think any one of us um, was dragged into this room kicking and screaming. I don't think any of the disciples stayed with Jesus because he held them there against their will. When he said, come follow me, they dropped everything and they followed. We came here willingly because we love the Lord. So why is Jesus saying, you did not choose me? Well, imagine if it was the other way around. Imagine Jesus came to us and said these words. I didn't choose you. You chose me. If anyone said that to me, what does that really say? It means I'm not really invested in this. So if this doesn't work out, it's not on me. You wanted it. So you make it happen. You work for it. If it doesn't happen, not on me because I didn't want this. Jesus says, I chose you. I wanted you and I picked you for this. I chose you so that you would bear fruit. And I'm going to make sure that you bear fruit. It's on me because I chose you and I'm the one that wants the fruit. I'm going to prune you. I'm going to give you all the nutrients you need to make sure that you grow to make sure you're bearing fruit, godly, spiritual fruit in your life. That's mercy. God chose the humble, feeble, weak, lifeless branch. And he gave us life when he grafted us to Jesus. And then now the vine holds on to the branch more than the branch holds on to the vine. That is grace. And so he's saying, it's on me. It's not about your doing. You don't have to strive. You don't have to labor so hard. You don't have to work. It's not about your work and your doing because it's already been done. It's about believing in what has been done. And it wasn't done by you. It was done by Jesus. And it's about claiming what has been done. It's about proclaiming what has been done. And now it's about remaining in what has been done. It's not about your work. It's about what Christ has done 
And now he says, remain in what already has been done for you. That's good news for many of us. Because so many of us are such like perfectionists. We want to make things happen. We busy ourselves. We run around trying to make things happen for the Lord. And when it doesn't happen the way that we want, we get down on ourselves. We get discouraged. And then our relationship with Jesus is hindered. And he's saying it's because it's not about you. It's about me and what I have done. And one of the more... um, One of the spiritual influences in my life um, has been my grandmother. She passed a few years back, um, but she was such a woman of prayer. She didn't speak any English except I love you and hi and I don't know, surprise, I don't know. But whenever she came to our house, I expected a few things, right? I expected that um, she would um, cook really good naengmyeon for us when she was younger, right? I expected that um, she would play golf because she loves golf, right? But I also expected to not sleep very much because this woman woke the whole house at 4 a.m. every day and she would sing hymns for an hour and she has a very, very, very loud voice. And, um, and she would go to the basement, it doesn't matter, comes, comes up and, and then she would pray for another hour, maybe more. We have a big family, she has five children. And they all have more than one kid. And so she would pray for each person by name. Such a woman of prayer. And um, by God's grace, my grandmother and my grandfather were able to um, uh, celebrate their diamond anniversary. Um, And so that was a big deal. We all went to Seattle. Uh, uh, We threw them a huge party at the country club. And, you know, a lot of food, a lot of people. And toward the end, my grandfather comes up. And he's holding the microphone. And he's like, thank you for coming, everyone. And, you know, he's about to make a love speech. And so he turns to my grandmother and says, I, honestly, I don't remember what he said. I think he must have said something like, I love you. Thank you for living with me. I don't know. And then he just kind of had this grin. And he said, you know, the one thing I never got to do for my wife. I never got to buy her a diamond ring. And he has this, like, smile on his face, and he reaches into his pocket. <laughs> and he, bring, he, he takes out a black box, and we're like, no way. And he opens the black box, and lo and behold is my grandmother's very first diamond ring. And everyone's just like, oh, my gosh. And some of us are tearing, or maybe it was just me because it was so romantic. And I didn't know my grandfather could be so romantic. And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. And my, my grandfather even turned to her and said, oh, 사랑해. You know, I'm just like, who, who are you? But, you know, it really warms your heart when you see your grandparents being so affectionate. And he turns to my grandmother and says, would you like to say anything? And he hands her the mic. And, you know, usually she says no, but she said yes. And I was like, oh, she's going to cry. She's going to say thank you because my grandmother loves the Lord, but she loves golf and she loves pretty things. And I was like, she's going to cry and say thank you for my diamond ring. Yeah, this woman grabs the microphone and you know what she starts doing? She starts preaching. I mean, she doesn't even say thank you to my grandfather. He's just awkwardly standing here. She literally grabbed the mic like this and said, a lot of people look at my life and they say that I am blessed, but I'm telling you I am nothing. I have nothing. I've done nothing good in my life except one thing I have held on to, Jesus. 
He says, she said, I put on myself to Jesus and that is how I got here. And the whole time I had a was just standing there and I'm just like, you're preaching. And then she starts talking about John 15, the vine and the branches. She said, I know I have nothing in my life, in and of myself. I can do nothing by myself. I am nothing. I can bring forth nothing. And so I stuck myself to Jesus and he has brought me thus far. My children have succeeded. My grandchildren have succeeded all because of Jesus. Jesus has done the work. All she did was abide in him. Don't you, at the end of your life, however however many years the Lord gives you, when you look back to your life, don't you want to have that testimony? Be like, I had nothing. I am nothing. But because Jesus chose me and I stuck myself to Jesus, look where he has brought me. Praise the Lord. And isn't that a testimony we want for CGS? So then how do we do this? How exactly do we abide in Jesus? He says, I in you and you in me. Abide in me as I abide in you. Remain in me as I remain in you. It sounds so nice. What on earth does that mean and what does that look like? It's so lofty. What does that mean? Because Jesus sincerely desires for you to grow, he tells us. In verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. But later on in verse 7, he replaces it. And he says, if you remain in me, my words will remain in you. There's nothing complicated about this. There's nothing mysterious or too mysterious about this. It's not a hidden secret. It's the word. If you want to be a branch that abides in Jesus, if you want to be a branch that bears much fruit in your life, there's only one thing, the word of God. And this is where I had to stop and I had to challenge myself. I was stuck on this part for a while. Because if we were to be really honest, Every single one of us could do a better job in abiding in his word. Sometimes we're too busy to read the word. Sometimes we're so tired to read the word. But brothers and sisters, what the Lord's been telling me is you cannot afford to be too busy to read the word. You cannot afford to be too tired to read the word because the word is life. But it's not enough to just read the Bible. It's not enough to read the Bible here and there for small group and then Sunday and maybe Saturday morning and then to pray to him here and there and say, God bless me and then reach out to him when you need his help. It actually is a day-to-day thing. This is not a practice that's reserved for pastors and missionaries and deacons and elders, for everyone who is in Christ. You are called to abide in his word daily, daily. Just like you need sustenance daily for your body to live, your spirit needs the word daily to live. So CGS, make it a habit. Cultivate a lifestyle of reading the word daily. And it is hard. It's hard. So keep each other accountable. 
Because it's for your brother and sister's good that they read the word every day. Right? And so ask, hey, what have you been reading in the word lately? And if that person can't answer, don't shame them. Just be like, hey, the word is life. We want to be a church that is alive with the spirit. Let's read the word together. Read the word together. But it's more than that. To abide in the word means you give him time. You don't just read on the train and then move on after, you know, your stop. You let the taste, the sweetness of his word linger in your mouth long after you've spoken it. And then you let the word echo and resonate back and forth in your heart long after you've closed that app or closed that book. And you let the word of God permeate your thoughts long after you have heard it. It's about being intentional. It's about seeking to obey the Lord as he says in the word. It's about putting your heart before the Lord and allowing the spirit to search it as you abide in the word. And what you're allowing the spirit to do is rearrange things in your life. Take things out from your life. Reorder things in your life. Guide your life. Lead it. And then use it. And it's hard for us because we love Jesus, but we only want suggestions. We want recommendations, but we don't really like commandments. But Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. It's a commandment. And it has to do with who is sitting on the throne in your life. Who is at the throne of your life? And so the more we abide in the word and we allow the spirit to search and move and guide and use, what happens? We begin to bear fruit. We begin to grow in Christ-likeness. It's the fruit of sanctification. We um, We become compelled by the things that move his heart. We become broken by the things that break his heart. We begin to desire the things that are on his heart so that when we ask in Jesus' name, it is given to us because our hearts are already one with Christ there. And then it is also the fruit of salvation. When people see your life and my life, when they see his glory manifest in and through our lives, they love Jesus because of us. And that's the fruit of salvation. But in all those fruit whether you are becoming like Christ or whether you are bringing people to Christ because of the way that you live, all this fruit is for the Lord. No branch bears fruit so that he could enjoy the grapes. The branch cannot enjoy the grapes. It's for the vine dresser. In the same way, in all the fruit that we bear in our lives, the godly spiritual fruit, it's all for the glory of God. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there's nothing more joy-giving or joyful than bringing glory to the one who has created us, uh, bringing glory to the one who has saved us and loved us. And this joy, it's vital for us. It's vital for you. It's vital for me. It's vital for our church because the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's our peace. It's our confidence. It's our courage and our boldness. And with a heart full of joy, there is no work There is no task, there is no command, and there is no trial that is too heavy, too scary, or too difficult for us. 
So we need the fullness of that joy in our lives. Jesus is very clear. When we do not abide in him, we are guaranteed no fruit. But when we are connected to Jesus, when we are abiding in him, when we are remaining in this love relationship with him, we are promised fruit. And this fruit will glorify God and this fruit will bring the fullness of joy in our lives. And when I think about this, I have to take a step back. And I have to think, then why do I stress out so much? Why do I run around back and forth busying myself as though I got to make this happen? Nothing, nothing is going to stop God from bringing glory to himself. And God has chosen us. And this is how he said he was going to bring glory to himself. He said, I'm going to take you, you lifeless weak, feeble branch, and I'm going to fill you with my life. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to fill you with my word. I'm going to change you, and then I'm going to use you. And then you're going to start desiring fruit in your life, so you're going to pray this. You're going to pray, God, help me to bear more fruit in my life, and I'm going to answer that prayer. And then when you live out that answer to the prayer and the world sees, I am going to be glorified. That is how Jesus glorifies himself in and through us. God will do it if you remain in him. Last thing is this. I think it's so profound that Jesus gave this teaching on his way to his own death. You know, he's teaching about vine and branches and bearing fruit and life. And he's on his way to his own death. Why? Because he himself was so unified to the Abba Father that he knew so intimately what his Father's will was. And it was for him to drink of that cup. And because he was so unified with his Abba Father, he obeyed to the point of death on a cross. And he didn't just obey. It says he endured the cross with the joy set before him. What joy? The joy of knowing his father's will, the joy of fulfilling his father's will, the joy of winning souls for his father's namesake, the joy of glorifying his father. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead and he became for us the first fruits of the dead. And so now those of us who are grafted into Jesus, that we have that resurrection life, that resurrection power so that we might have life, so that we might grow, and so that we might bear fruit. Scripture is clear. Loving, lasting fruit comes from loving Jesus deeply. And so I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to ask you how much are you serving in the church, how many hours are you clocking in, I'm not going to ask you, what's your title in this church? I'm not going to ask you, how many mission trips and retreats have you gone to? The question that I believe the Lord is asking us is, how are you doing in abiding in Jesus Christ? How are you doing in remaining in him 
as he remains in you. And I pray that our prayer would be this, Lord, I want to bear a lot of fruit for you. I want people to love you because of me and because of my life, and I want to be used by you. And I pray that the, 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 what you live out would be Jesus' answer to you, yes, I chose you for that. And yes, I will use you to glorify myself. Let's pray together.